Blog Talk Radio. And so 
an evolution into analysis is really where it became. I kind of just became that conduit to the business and um, had pretty good facilitation and communication skills and liaisoning skills. So um, that's where the business analysis took off a lot. And then um, at Quintiles evolved into um, from a senior just analyst doing straight requirements to more of um, enterprise analysis and leading teams of analysts and then also um, leading and co-leading a team of um, of interns this summer. So that was really, really a lot of fun, and I've enjoyed it thoroughly, being able to mentor and share that um, that historical, uh, those historical chapters of work and actually applying it and being able to find better ways of doing things and, and also being open to hearing new things and new ways of seeing the world. So um, that's pretty much it for me. That's in a nutshell, but um, I'll turn it over to TJ. Okay. My name is well, TJ Hurley. I'm sorry. Okay. My name is TJ Hurley. Um, I read. I graduated from the Jackson State University, and unlike Tasha, my um, IT let's see career was not charted just in um, in system. My major in college was actually psychology and biology, and upon graduation, I actually started working um, at Blue Cross Blue Shield in the healthcare industry, and from that time frame, I actually um, migrated from healthcare. Um, into telecom because everything at that point when I graduated around the late 80s was um, telecom having such a great presence in the industry, it seemed like that would be the great place to um, to actually see how those charted waters were. So as I got into telecom, um, I worked with Sprint, MCI, um, and then, let's see, um, Bell South, and after actually completing a tour of duty there, I actually started becoming somewhat technical savvy, and um, I seized every opportunity to actually learn. And with that, it actually spawned into something called IT. IT was so new to me at that point, um, I actually got picked, um, hand-selected, to actually go down and actually work with the MCI WorldCom merger and I stayed down in Jackson, Mississippi for about a year before coming back and um, actually grasping more of an IT presence by actually working with AT&T as a district support manager. After that, um, I said I wanted to try something different, and Tasha had already been in, um, let's see, the consulting arena, and I said, what can I do? I work for pretty much all the, um, the big boys in telecom, so what can I do? And um, Tasha suggested, have you thought about consulting? And lo and behold, I actually said, well, let me check that out, and I did, and, you know, put my put my bid in for a company that um, is probably well-known in consulting, KPMG Consulting, and at that point, they were doing some staffing, and I got hired. Um, KPMG Consulting then branched off to become Bearing Point, and needless to say, in consulting, um, most of the things that we do is basically IT-centric. So from that standpoint, um, I stayed with um, Bearing Point for approximately 10, 10 plus years, and Bearing Point went through some financial hardships in which Deloitte actually purchased our government side, and I was actually a government consultant, and um, I am currently now with um, Deloitte. So in that phase, I mean, it's been quite a journey going from psychology into IT. But nonetheless, it's been very rewarding. Wow, wow, that's great, TJ. First of all, I want to uh, congratulate you both on your successful careers. You seem to be uh, have a very firm uh, uh, standing and 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 are doing well. So, continued success to you both, TJ. Um, you coming from the healthcare industry, and I must congratulate you there for making a very successful transition from that environment and marrying it with your IT career. You seem to have done that very well. What um, what do you bring over into the IT industry from your background? I see you have a, uh, as you mentioned earlier, your major in college 
uh, with psychology. How, how has that helped you in your IT career or in your project management career overall? Well, psychology has been extreme help. I mean, because it, you meet so many different individuals. I mean, each and every project has new challenges that you're faced with. And some of those challenges come from the individuals that you have to interact with. So it, it allows me to use the training that I got um, to actually anticipate what these personalities are going to look like and how, I, I mean, find their pain points and, and find opportunities to actually diffuse those those uh, those issues or those challenges that they may have with seeing a consultant come in. Because most people, most firms that are uh, in the industry um, and their, um, I get mid-management staff think we don't do anything. We are just coming in to actually suck up money, so to speak. But once we actually get in and we build a relationship, and, and that's part of the training that from psychology that I brought over is that I can build relationships. I've been actually deemed as the face for most of my projects to interact with the client. So as I share with them that we're not here to harm, we're here to help and show them the reality of what we bring to the table and um, how we're going to make their life a lot easier. It's, it's a lot easier for them to digest it and actually become our champion to actually spear that upon the rest of their employees or direct reports or even management and be those advocates when we don't have that, that face time with that type, I mean, the different clients or different management um, staff that's within the organization. They can actually be our advocates in that um, in our absence. Spoken like a true professional project manager. I, 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 uh, I, I really that really resonated with me because as a project manager myself, TJ, uh, we all run into those challenges. And I always say project management is half psychology anyway, uh, as we massage and manage the multiple personalities at the various stakeholder levels. So congratulations on on making that work out for you. Um, Ahead, so my my next, I'd like to direct a question towards <laughs> Sasha, because Sasha, we know a thing or two as business analysts uh, about working with people and personalities. And yes, my, well, I, the question I was going to direct to you was maybe even share with our audience because I think business analysis is probably a misunderstood or little known kind of area. Even as David and I travel and speak to the different college students, project management is it's a little older and more. Uh, that discipline is more established. But talk about what what is a business analyst? What are some of the the, the tools and techniques that you use in your job as a business analyst? Uh, yeah, first, first of all, you know, I, I love project managers. They are the business analyst's best friend when you massage that relationship correctly because if there weren't for requirements, there wouldn't be anything to manage. Am I correct? So <laughs> it, it's just very key to know that the foundation, yes, you've got to have that framework. You've got to know the tasks that are ahead. You've got to have that personality that can massage the relationship to get the work done. But at the heart of the building, the foundation are the requirements. And so a lot of what our our job, the BA's job is centered around is actually getting to further build relationship with those stakeholders and get to the heart of what they really need. A lot of times when you're talking to your stakeholders, they're, they're already solutioning because they see the bells and whistles, they see the cool things that their friends have, so it comes back to psychology again. So a lot of those soft skills are very important for the BA to be patient but yet keep on task, so there's a little PM-ish um, technique there but to get to the heart of what the business need is, not all the other stuff, not how we're going to do it or whatever, but really what it is that you're trying to achieve. So a lot of it is being able to wade through um, and interpret um, terminology of your um, stakeholders. It's also paying attention to detail and documenting detail, and sometimes documenting detail to the point of, of, you know, nausea, but not to the point of overanalyzing it. Being able to have a quick eye to, 
zone in and, and get to the heart of what what the goals are. Um, but having that attention to detail, because there's a lot of information that's within some of the underlying askings. So that that whole skill of even common things that we take for granted with um, Microsoft Word and Excel and spreadsheets and having organization skills to be able to know where to put requirements, um, what's the appropriate place, how to document them, whether it's data-driven, so you want to put it into a spreadsheet because you're going to be doing reporting and charting off of it, or whether it's more of a narrative and meeting minutes, um, so you're you're keying into some of those administrative skills, but a lot of it is a lot of critical analysis, um, taking information, and, and, well, really data, tons of data, and turning it into information and performing those a analytics around it. So basically that analysis piece is really understanding your business, understanding stakeholders, understanding what the scope of the project is and what the goals are, what the outcomes are, understand the metrics around that, and being able to extract clear requirements and needs for a system or for a process or for some type of governance and being able to document it and also present that information back, which may be more of a senior-level um, task, um, and, and make it usable in order to accomplish a goal through that system or that process or the governance and hit those metrics and feed that back up to the project management. That's kind of a long answer to it, um, but overall that's the way I see where the business analyst brings those skills. Absolutely, and, and, and I think that that really will help our audience because um, I'm going to ask a similar question of uh, TJ, because well, we, we deal um, quite a bit with college students, and they have the book knowledge, and they hear the things that they, they've heard in school. But how would you explain to someone beyond just the book knowledge and um, even from the PMBOK perspective, what is it to be a project manager? What, what does it take, and maybe even some of the, the personality traits that you have to to develop to be a great PM. What's your thoughts on that? Okay. Um, funny you should ask that because I actually, um, with Deloitte, I actually mentor um, some college students now and actually trying to bring, um, let's see, bring them into the firm. So with that being said, I mean, in respect to project management and actually taking the text learnings, um, I don't say forget everything that you learn in PMBOK. <laughs> I don't say that. But what I do say is that once you start actually becoming thoroughly immersed and engaged in true project management, a lot of those things that you're going to learn in, in PMBOK are actually just that. Those are the things that are documented, and those are the things that will help you actually achieve a certification. But they're going to actually um, – I guess real-life situations are going to actually be presented in which some of those things are going to actually change, uh, I mean, a great deal from, from a small extent to a great extent. And all depending on how you manage it, you have to come in with an open mind and don't say, well, this is the way the book says do it. So now you don't have any flexibility and you don't have any areas for growth and you're going to try to make it force it into that model in which it may not fit. So you have to come in humbly and actually with a lot of flexibility to actually say, okay, these things may not work. How do I make it work? And um, just actually being open to actually getting those new learnings, those nuances, and actually being able to actually um, touch bases with some of your, your peers or uh, your colleagues that actually – uh, more seasoned than you may be and say, hey, I got this situation. Um, you know, my experience doesn't allow me to understand what I may need to do. Can you actually assist me or give me some guidance in this area? I mean, I have right now um, some 
guys that are actually, I wouldn't, I'm a senior project manager, but I still have some guys that I actually use as mentors and say, hey, I'm, I'm faced with this situation. How would I actually make this work? And, I mean, just being open to receive that knowledge because project management is ever-evolving. I mean, it's always a learning opportunity in it because the dynamic, no project is the same. So you always have to be very, very open to actually a learning experience. Absolutely, that's a very that's a very good point there, uh, TJ. Um, uh, project management is like a fraternity in itself because we usually we're we're bridging that gap, we're filling that gap, uh, that information gap between the business side or the clients and the resources, and it's, it takes a lot of skill there. And uh, as you mentioned, a lot of us have gone through those scenarios and those projects. Before, so it's really good to have that uh, network of other project managers that you can rely on uh, uh, to help you through those situations. Good points there. Now, now, Tasha, uh, you were over the interns at uh, at Quintiles uh, there, um, and, and some of those interns have recently been released back out into the public or back into school. Uh, what what type of what knowledge? And and what did you uh, what knowledge and what information did you leave them to go back into the world with? That that is, I I must say, this summer working with the interns has been such a refreshing experience because you just see the the world through. It's just like children; you see the world through their eyes again. And having walked in those shoes. Um, I was able, I feel, to impart a lot of, you know, actual knowledge. You know, of course, it's been 20-something years, but I feel I'm young at heart. But one thing I, I left, it, well, one thing, you know, I'm never short on words, so <laughs> no comment from the peanut gallery. But um, a couple of things I left with them were just, that level of detail and building confidence in supporting whatever you've done, even if you've made a decision and you went the wrong way with something, at least have the detail to be able to backtrack it because there's a lot in accountability. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, you know, sometimes being accountable is knowing that you're wrong and saying, I'm sorry, and this is what I did, but this is how I can correct it. So that was one thing that I left with them, I feel. Another thing was just building, um, motivating those students and, and showing them also that I'll get in there with them, I'll divide up work. There were plenty of times when they find little Christmas presents here and there because I was able to get in there and roll my sleeves up and, that was one thing I wanted to leave with them as well, is that a good leader doesn't have to ask anybody to follow them. They'll just, People will watch them and watch the walk that they walk, that it's not just talk, and they'll say, hey, I, I see something in you, and all a good leader has to do is look over their shoulder and people will follow you if you are living and, and walking with integrity and whatever you do, back to the accountability was another. So a couple of the things, that was point number two. Um, I guess point number three would just be um, spending a lot of time on detail because we have a, 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 you know, in youth we have a tendency to just want to go really, really fast to say that we got to the end of the road the first or the fastest. And sometimes it's not all about speed. You have to learn to pace yourself. Um, which I struggle with at times too, but um, in that pacing, um, you have to also make sure that you document, that you provide the detail because anything could happen. We had one intern that lost um, a grandmother. I lost an uncle over the summer, those types of things. But if you leave the details there, it will tell the story without your face having to be present, and that decreases your stress. So those were three major points that I think, Overall, I was able to leave with them. Um, along the way, of course, there were learnings about how to use Excel and VLOOKUPs and all that technical stuff. But at the end of the day, um, anyone, 
can learn a tool. But what I wanted to leave them with were life lessons, and I think that those three points were the biggest points. I mean, we covered a lot of territory technically over those months together, but I, I, my hope and my desire is that they walked away with those three things. And like I told them, because they may come around 20 years from now or whatever and be have an opportunity like I did to um, – mentor a team of interns and help to co-lead or lead or however you want to put it, um, a team of interns, and they'll be able to talk about what they learned and their experience and how they've applied it, and they'll pick up new things that they'll want to impart with their set of interns or mentees. And I just believe that it's important to encourage, um, to motivate, Yes, the challenge and the push, but to definitely encourage them in a way that would cause them to think about what did I learn out of this, you know, whether it's good or bad. What is something that I'm going to do and carry with me? What are some things that I did and didn't do so well? You know, where can I improve? So um, that's important to me with every encounter, you know, that it's not just, a job is really an encounter that every time that you touch a person, you know, by word, thought, or deed, that it's an encounter. And you, those are some of the things that I wanted to make sure I left with them. So I hope that it changed them in a positive way. Wow. Uh, that was special. Thanks, Tasha. And, and I want to thank you for that because uh, to my to the listening audience, my son was one of those interns, and um, it's good to hear that uh, you imparted that type of knowledge on him. And and um, it's good sitting with him and talking project management type stuff right now. That's that's fun to me, and uh, he enjoys it as well. So uh, uh, thanks for leaving that uh, uh, with them, Jacqueline. Well, thank you. And I, and I want to say to um, anyone that is has the privilege of be mentoring by. Tasha or TJ, it's an awesome opportunity. And, um, you know, one of the things that we do encourage our, our students that we talk to at the various schools is to get into an internship early and often, maybe do more than one. Uh, make sure you go in it with the intention of getting something out of it. Um, be a sponge. Absorb knowledge. It's not just what you're learning in the books and at school. And so as you can hear from um, both TJ and Tasha, two passionate people about their careers, these are the type of people that you want to um, pattern yourself after, uh, use as your role models uh, in, in as far as your career. Um, so, And that is why we have Technology Expresso Cafe is that um, not everyone can get in these programs or be as fortunate to have great coaches and mentors who really um, invest their 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 time and passion and imparting that knowledge to you, but you can listen to this radio show and glean those um, nuggets of information uh, just like you are today. So again, thank you to our listeners and, and so excited to have TJ and Tasha on the show. Nuggets of information, I like it. <laughs> um, let me going down that line. One of the things is we're talking to some of uh, um, the younger listeners and even those. Let's talk about interviewing and interviewing skills. Tasha, TJ, I'm sure in, in your roles and in, in senior roles at this point in your career, you've interviewed people and you probably have some uh, some stories. Um, maybe I'll start with Tasha and then we'll go over to TJ. What advice do you have to people? Because obviously both of you know how to brand yourself, uh, have set your reputation, it precedes you, you've built your network. What are you What are you seeing uh, where young people are maybe missing the mark and or don't quite get what they need to do to 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 get the the job and opportunities that they're seeking? Well, I I would say um, you know we've we've run across some great interviews and we've run across some that you know have great opportunities for people to to learn a lot about themselves and how to interview and I think some of the some of the top things go without saying and I think um I've seen a new trend in in um persons coming to interviews and being polished and getting back to the basic you know obviously grooming 
coming fully professional, invest in a good suit and a good pair of shoes, and and definitely, you know, ladies being properly groomed all the way to the shoes and everything. Those types of things are very important because I I will tell you plenty of times, and, and we'll just keep it very basic because there are plenty of people who may be listening who have never interviewed before, um, but being professional, being on time or early, you know, always want to be there 15 minutes before if you can, 30 minutes if you can, um, planning to make sure that you're there on time. So, you know, check out where your your destination is the, the day before, two days before. Drive it. Drive it in traffic or whatever you need to do to be prepared. I mean, some of these things may seem very elementary um, and like, oh, yeah, I get it or whatever, but you just never know what could happen, a wreck, a car accident, what have you. Have copies of your resume in advance. Don't just assume, well, it's on LinkedIn or whatever, so I'm sure they printed it before I got there. Assume that they want. They won't have done that. Be prepared. Just those little things show a lot of professional polish that are impressive, that that sell you and produce your brand without you saying one word. By the time I'm I'm shaking your hand and meeting you with that firm grip, shows confidence, eye contact, not looking at the floor past me or, you know, through my hair or wherever else or behind me, um, that eye contact, that firm grip, being there and prepared, having extra resumes, those are basic things. That's before you even open your mouth. Um, obviously, before you get to the interview, the only way that you're going to get there is to have a resume, connect yourself with someone who's good at writing resumes and can get those keywords, those the emphasis on the what's in it for me, for your resume to not just go into the big pile. You gotta have those sticking points. You gotta sell yourself without you being there. That goes back to the previous statement um, or comments around the internship. I would say once you're in the interview, talk about what you did. Be passionate about what you did. Don't read from the paper. <laughs> that should just be the the TV guide for the person who's you know in front of you. You should be able to speak to some key points that show your accomplishments, that highlight what you can do, what you can bring to the table. Make sure that you focus on the things that you really did. You know, don't hide behind words like, I, I assisted, I helped, I I kind of, sort of. When you're selling yourself, you can't be lukewarm. You've got to show What's in it for me? You gotta always think about that about the person across from the table from you at the interview table. So um those would be some of the the key things and, and I know um, you know, we were talking last night, T J or you were having a conversation last night, you were even emphasizing some things around just protocol and conduct for follow up, um, or calls or what have you. Um so I'll I'll hand it off to T J to Take it from there. Right. Just piggybacking on what Tasha said, I mean, all those things that she stated, I mean, are very, very valid. And one thing, I mean, I know when I interview individuals and as I work with the interns and, um, let's say, potential employees of Deloitte, um, I look to see how much homework they've done. I mean, for one, you have to do your homework. You Nine times out of ten, they're going to present you with a person um, that is going to be interviewing you. One, you already know the company that you're interviewing with or interviewing um, for an opportunity with. Google them. Put their name in. Google them. Find out something about their background. I mean, that actually helps you to develop a strategy. I mean, you may have to alter your strategy, but nonetheless, you go in there with some type of game plan. Um, You know something about this individual. You know something about their work background what they've done, who they work for. So that gives you some things to consider. Okay, how do I present? I mean, they're going to ask me about my past experience. And um, how do I present it? You may have something in common with that person that they can resonate with. So you want to actually make sure that you just bolster that so they can actually throw a star out. Because what you want to do when you're in an interview is to make sure 
that you have things that speak for you in your absence. You want to make sure that your name comes up more times. How do you make that happen? For one, I mean, you know, thank you notes. I mean, you want to definitely send a thank you note. They may not remember you. I mean, if they don't remember you from the interview, I mean, now it gives them an opportunity to actually revisit your resume at least. So now the more times, and just like in any election, statistics show it's not based upon the best candidate winning, but sometimes it's just based upon name recognition. So if they have to recall your name on several different occasions, I mean, that's going to push you probably, I mean, you may not get the opportunity, but you may, may be on the top of the stack, and they may look to refer you to someone else for another opportunity. So you definitely want to make sure that you actually do that grooming. I mean, grooming, some things you cannot sell an employer. I mean, granted, we're in a diverse culture right now, and employers are not going to say this. They're not going to tell you, you know, this is the reason why or this is the reason why not. But you have to use your own better judgment. I mean, you know, can I go into an interview and can I sell, I mean, I mean, for a man having hair down to the floor? I mean, can I sell that? I mean, you have to think about that and use your better judgment if you can or if you can't. Um, also, let's see, it was another thing I definitely wanted to bring up, and now it escapes me. But it, it's really about... You know, it goes back to the old adage about dress how you want to be addressed. And I know that sounds very trite and and and, and, and maybe old-fashioned, but that's part of it along with um, just that your your name goes farther than you ever will. So, I mean, you, you've got to brand yourself in the way that you want to be remembered. You Your thought came back to you. It came back. <laughs> yes. Um, the other thing, when you come in for an opportunity – I mean, whether it's just a job or if it's going to be a career, have some takeaways. I mean, have something. Of course, you want to meet the requirements for that opportunity, but you have to have some goals and some futuristic things that you want to accomplish by you working for this employer. There is absolutely nothing wrong with sharing those aspirations long as they're within the contents of that actual position and there's something that's not too far-fetched where you're looking way out into the future and you give them the impression that, you know, this is just a stepping yeah. stone. Yeah. So you want to actually make sure that you have those short-term goals that you can act, that are achievable based upon the opportunity that you're interviewing for so they can actually say, okay, this person is also motivated. I mean, they have some things that they're looking for. They're not just here to actually get a check. They're here to actually learn something and actually gain more skills, which means now you don't become a liability, you become an asset because now they don't have to look at you as far as churn. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think those are the biggest things. Um, like Tasha say, make sure that you bring your um, – your resume, make sure you have a polished resume. I mean, know your weaknesses. I mean, if you have to have some mock interviews with someone, know your weaknesses. Be in a position that you can receive that constructive criticism. And look how you can turn that weakness into a strength. I mean, there's an art in doing that, and it, and it can be done. Like somebody is a workaholic. I mean, you could take a workaholic situation and say, yes, that person um, basically works 24-7 to actually get the job accomplished. However, you can take that situation and say that, um, you know, I am working on, let's see, working on being a workaholic, and what I've actually done is actually taken some time management courses that actually helps me to actually structure okay. the things that I need to do and um in a in in a more livable time frame. So that's just one example. But I think pretty much what Tasha said, I mean, covers the great deal of it. Absolutely. And and thank you. Thank you so much. And and something T J that you, you also said when you talked about the, the hair down to the floor, like you said, we're in an era with young people, it's about self expression, there's the piercings, there's the tattoos. And one of the things what things that we often say too is 
you don't want things that are going to be a distraction. You know, you want to make sure that, especially you have to look at the context of the job in which you're interviewing, their culture, those types of things, um, mirroring the, the people that you're interviewing with. And so all of the points that, that you all said, I hope people as you're listening to this have a pad and a piece of paper and pencil uh, to jot this down because it's, it's important and um don't assume you always want yourself to stand out from everyone else, and it's a competitive market. That That's the reality. So you want to stack the deck in your favor. So don't just pick and choose the advice that's being handed out on this uh, on today's episode. Do it all, and I promise you, you're, you're going to be at the, the head of the class and the head of the, the stack when it comes to, to interviewing. So I, I, I really appreciate all that you all have put into it because um, you're really giving a lot of good, good advice here. And, and one of the things, one of my next line of questioning is I'd like you to share maybe even a, a personal story because I, I know the audience, they, they like to hear success stories. But I want maybe you have an example of in your career, because especially um, in IT, we have the opportunity to, um, instead of just getting on one job, we often can uh, go to different jobs to move around, to uh, try different opportunities, get exposed to different industries, um, and, and that's just very much the culture of the IT industry. And then we also have avenues where you can do contracting, you can do consulting, you can do um, PERM. And all of that, a lot of times you have to sometimes take some risks you have to take some initiatives, or you just have to be at the right place to take uh, advantage of an opportunity. So I'm going to kind of, that, that's kind of my question, and I'll start with TJ on this one. Can you think of, uh, in your career uh, navigation, were you that took a risk or initiative or just, you know, were able to take advantage of an opportunity that really helped to, to um you know, just turned out for the best for you and your, your career path? Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm facing one right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> I actually have been on the road for um, traveling with a consulting firm, I guess now going 15, 20 years. And, you know, as the kids are actually growing, I mean, they're making it, I mean, extremely obvious that I need to actually have more of a presence at home. So with that being said, um, with all the skills that I've, I've actually been able to attain, um, one being I've gotten several accolades within the firm as far as quality is concerned. And there's been a restructuring within the organization around um, the quality risk management. So um, I've actually been the lead on a lot of quality initiatives, quality deliverables that actually we've been doing firm firm and enterprise-wide. So I've been able to manage a lot of that. Um, my name has gotten out there, and the opportunity within the um, quality risk management area actually has reached out to me, and um, they expressed an interest, and which now... Uh, I'm looking to actually have a meeting about that on, as a matter of fact, this coming Monday. So if all turns out well, all the investments and the time that I've invested in um, all the different industries, whether it's finance, healthcare, um, banking, um, telecom, let's see, um, life sciences, all those have now culminated, I mean, into one area of quality that now I need to express on this um, meeting with this individual, hopefully to be staffed and actually working virtually at home. So, I mean, I, I say that in the context that look at every opportunity that you have, not as a burden, but look at it as what I said initially, as an opportunity, an opportunity to learn, an opportunity to grow, and an opportunity to actually flourish. You may not know where, I mean, where that impact is going to come into your life and it's going to produce the value, but I, there is a plan somehow that that is going to be valuable to you because now I'm looking back, why did I do this, why did I do that, and now I'm, I'm seeing that all that, everything that I've done in consulting, 
in industry has now actually rolled up into this one thing that if it comes to fruition, it's going to be quality. So I now what turn else? it over to Tasha to get her thoughts. Oh, thank you. Uh, thank you. I'm sorry. Did I'm sorry. That was just directed to me. I'm sorry, Jacqueline. I'm just so used to sharing. Oh, <laughs> oh no, absolutely. And, and Tasha, if you have something to to add as well, if you have uh, insight to an opportunity or a risk or initiative that that you took, um, definitely want to hear your perspective as well. Well, I think I can speak to my most recent endeavor as well. <laughs> so um, so that's why I was like, oh, can I share, can I share? Um, but basically it's, it's just always important, as, as, as important uh, as we stress the importance of how you enter a situation, it's always how you exit, it's how you finish. And sometimes a finish isn't, a complete goodbye. It's just a so long for now. So all that to say, um, at Quintiles, I took a, a little hiatus for about 11 months um, from Quintiles back in May of 2012. And if you didn't notice, you heard um, for our callers, you heard that I said, oh, yeah, but this summer I was handling the intern program at um at um, Quintile, so that means that I came back. I just couldn't stay away. So, um, but it was um, just um, we kept in touch, Jacqueline, myself, and and um, Ken Schult, and we kept in, in touch over that course of time, and um, just an opportunity presented itself, and I was like, you know, hey, you know, Maybe maybe you might have an opportunity there. And the first time we kept talking back and forth, and there wasn't an opening, there wasn't an opportunity. Then an opportunity presented itself, and I, I took a risk and said, "Well, hey, throw my name in the hat. Don't know if anybody would want me, you know, to come back in that capacity or whatever." Signs didn't look like they would work out initially due to some other constraints, you know budgetary or whatever, and then the plan came into place. And um, my prior work there at Quintiles on the Laboratory Transformation Project spoke for itself, again, where you have to be focused. You have to stay focused. And like TJ said, some of the things that we went through, Jacqueline knows that project, we've never done easy projects, so that just, lets you know that's just our charter in life. It's part of the plan. But um, that perseverance, paying attention to detail, um, making sure that your brand is known and, and that your name speaks for itself without you even being there, that's what helped me, I think, a great deal be presented back to be a part of this opportunity that I'm on today. Um, so it was just a risk chance. It was keeping in touch, keeping those connections going, not leaving a situation where you're just frustrated and, and walking off and, you know, tossing your head back, tossing your hair back, I'm never going to speak to these people again. You never know. You never burn your bridges. I can't stress it enough, no matter how frustrated you get, Talk it through. Take a deep breath. Like TJ said, you may be one of those who burns out because you want to work 24-7. You have to take a breath. You have to recharge yourself, come back with a fresh head, a fresh set of eyes, and make sure that you keep your brand full of integrity, keep it clean, um, and, and keep it Honorable, because you never know when you may leave one situation and have to circle back to um, maybe not the same situation, but a new opportunity um, at a prior job or with a connection from a prior job. Um, so just have to make sure that you stay prepared at all times and, and be conscious of how you how you enter and then how you finish. So. Um, that's just an example of an opportunity that came back at a previous job, and it's working out well. 
I must say, thank you, Tasha. Tasha, and I must say, it is working out well, and and I cannot resonate enough. That really resonated with me, and I cannot emphasize as, as well uh, name branding and how important that is, especially to our uh, our young uh, people breaking into the industry. It's it's really important to establish that um, uh, that responsible um, um, reputation. And uh, you've done that well, Tasha, and so have you, TJ. Uh, you both had successful careers and have transitioned in and out of various work environments. And you're both very senior and, and, and professional at, at this stage of your career. And I know there's a lot of challenges as far as your time is concerned and time management. How do you, how do you create that work-life balance uh, both of you, uh, uh, now that you're at the stage of your career. And, TJ, if you go first, please. Okay. <laughs> Since I'm a road warrior, let's see. The work-life balance. Hmm. That's a good question because I've been asking that question for a long time. But if I have to take it just personally and not, um, let's see, how do I manage it? Just me personally and not going by the script that the firms or the companies give you. Well, for me, my thing is that I, I, I'm i a firm believer that my wife is not going to outserve me. So with that being said, I mean, I'm in a posture of servitude, especially when I'm home. Because with us having children, they didn't ask to come here. I mean, that was a choice that we made to bring them here. So I owe them a whole lot more than saying I'm busy. So when I'm on the road, I mean, they could work me as long as they like. I have absolutely no problem. But when I get home, now it's time for me to become husband, dad, um, brothers, sisters, I mean, brothers, son, I mean, and, and assume my roles. I mean, honey-do list. I mean, I, have, I, I, mean, I do have a great helpmate in which um, she tries to alleviate a lot of things off the list, such as mowing the yard when I'm on the road, um, car washing and things like that. I mean, she'll actually outsource that to someone else to actually do it. But, I mean, I still know she needs time to herself, being that she's actually been on the front line with the kids, school, and everything else. So my job is to say, hey, you've done yours, go. And I actually take the reins of the kids, and um, and most people that know it, especially in our let's see, our in immediate family, church family, I mean, and in our um, community, know that on weekends, you if you see me, you see my boys with me. And um, if Tasha has time, because I know she has things she has to do, which are things that make us appreciate the women a lot more, such as going to the beautician, getting nails done, getting pedicures. I mean, things that actually make her feel good and, as a man, make you proud to say, hey, yeah, that's mine. So, I mean, you know, you just have you just have to actually find, for me, just find out where you can serve at. I mean, as far as cooking, cleaning, um, whatever it takes. I mean, whatever it takes when you come home. Because for me, I mean, I start, I guess, having withdrawals about leaving the day before I leave, and because I know I'm going to be away from them. But then I have to put my game face on once I get on the plane and saying, okay, one day down, and I'm counting down to getting home. And, you know, and then being in a position that, I mean, it's okay to sometimes tell your boss, look, I mean, i give you a typical example. This week I have about, I guess, 72 hours that I've worked this week alone. And that was from Monday through Friday. So, I mean, basically it's almost somebody's two-week, or it's a job and a part-time job as far as I was concerned. But yet and still, I mean, I have to shut it down and now transition into my role as being a husband, dad, foremost, I mean, spiritual leader, shepherd of my household, um, son to my mom, things, things of that nature. So, I mean, with that being said, I'll turn that over to Tasha. 
Um, yes, yeah, so all of those things, and, and, and it is true, and then I feel guilty because I'm like, by the weekend, uh, initially I would feel guilty because I would feel by the weekend, well, he's getting off the road, so he wants some time to be in the house. But then I had to think, okay, I have been working full-time and taking kids here and, and fro and everything like that, so I do tend to get better because, Sometimes I do have to be put on curfews. Yes, you did hear that um, from my management as well as my my work management as well as my personal management, Mr. Hurley, yes. um, as far as shutting off the electronics at a certain time. And I do try to, when I'm with the kids at the table, I, I try to stay away from the laptops and those types of things or whatever. And when it's there homework time, I try to focus on them because they do deserve that. So it, there are some times, and TJ can mention it, he'll call back to back from the road and, and ask, you know, where is everybody? Why aren't you answering? I'm like, I'm doing homework, so I have to shut it off to the world, period. And then we have our time to Skype or FaceTime Dad in the evenings and then in the car on the way to school. We'll all talk with Daddy then or whatever, but it, it is it's it's a challenge and it's a lot of forgiving yourself and and the freedom to forgive yourself is with setting aside time to go and walk Kennesaw Mountain like I did this morning or what have you or take a Zumba class or you know if he says go on ahead and go and pamper yourself or whatever and. It's just an hour, and I have to think about it. it's just an hour away from them because I would prefer to be around them, but at the same time I have to do something for myself to make myself feel good and reward myself. So I've had to learn to let that go. Um, but when we can be together, we look forward to doing that and to being together as a family unit, and it's a time where we don't do work, we don't talk about work, I have to Sometimes be reminded of that. <clears throat> She's doing better, John. I'm, I'm doing better, but um, <laughs> it, it, it is an art. It, it, well, it's an art and a science. And with having so much technology around and the kids' grades, we can get them to our cell phones immediately and all that type of stuff. It's like you're you're on 24/7. You really have to just disconnect. You have to force yourself to disconnect to keep the balance. Absolutely, and 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 first of all, I have to tell you all since this is radio. Uh, David was shooting me dirty looks about turning off the laptop and turning off the laptop because I have to confess I have a problem. For for those of you who've gotten emails from me at one, two o'clock in the morning, then back on at six and seven. But you're absolutely right. It it, it takes discipline, and but I I think that the the one thing that I want to underscore is. Today's show, we have husband and wife team, Tasha Hurley and T.J. Hurley, two very successful people in their career, passionate about their career, but they they understand and they, they work together, you know, because people might have it to say that two successful people can't have careers and, and family, but you all are making it work, and um, I, I love that advice. And, and, and just for our listening audience, you guys aren't, you know, just starting out. How many years have you guys been married? Uh, they're twelve. <laughs> think about it. Twelve years. Okay. Yeah, she was about to get hit. Yeah, I sure was. I was like, <laughs> that, was, that was the trick question of the call. That was the trick question. <laughs> I think you do better on that one. <laughs> I knew it was coming. Great grief! I need to be better. But we've known each other for quite a long time. So I mean, um, just having met earlier and then I was traveling and doing that kind of stuff and then he was traveling. So probably mm, we've known each other twenty one years. Twenty one years. Okay. Twenty one wow. years. Wow. Isn't she supposed to be awesome. she knows all the times and all that? Yes. Congratulations to you both for uh for continuing to make that work. Absolutely, absolutely awesome. Uh, role models in, in many aspects, and, and I think that's what's beautiful. And believe it or not, we've been talking for 60 minutes. If you ever had any concerns about if we had enough to talk about, but I do want to slip in one last question because 
this kind of takes us to we've been talking about family. You made reference to your your beautiful boys, the the, the young men that you all are, are grooming, and I just wanted to talk about since uh, around that family uh, in the school systems, and you all are seeing from the times when when we were in school or you all were in school how the schools are now really embedding technology in the, the school system. Tell us your, your thoughts on how that working and, and maybe share with the audience some of the innovative things that you guys have seen, even uh, with, the, the, uh, young, with your young sons in, in the school system, and whoever wants to do that first. Well, we got introduced to the flipped classroom in, um, last year in our oldest son's fifth grade class where they integrated having um, BYOD, bring your own device, um, so, yes, Thomas got a chance to take my iPad to school, and it came back in place every day. But part of their classwork was really using the iPad or the Kindles in class and so um, and the applications. So applications like Spelling City and there was, I think, um, a lot of YouTube videos and Learn, Learn Zillion videos for math and science. Um, I excel for practicing for the CRCT, and they still do that in the afternoons and during the summer. Now, this year, even our third grader has BYOD, so he's using the Kindle. I can't believe it, but because I like it, and, you know, I'm always trying to use it when he's not. But anyway, um, but they're using it in their class, and he practices his spelling words that way. Now, I will say that TJ and I have struggled with that where we have taken them away when they've gotten a little rowdy or out of hand, which is not all the time. So they're they're really great kids. But we also go to the school box and get the old-fashioned flashcards, and we get the um, notebook and pen and paper, and the youngest one took his timetables that he had written out by hand in a notebook to his teacher to show it to her um, Thursday. Um, so we still, even though we have the technology and the flipped classrooms here in Cobb County, it's a great thing, but we want them to not be afraid of the old-fashioned pencil and paper, and they just got a double blessing of some old-fashioned raised parents who happen to work in technology but still feel it's important for them to put that pencil to the paper. Yeah, and I must resonate with Tasha on that. Um, being that if you can do it, I mean, you have to be very, very cautious with technology because technology can actually make you in certain ways lazy. So to actually, for us to actually share our learning experience with them and have them have an appreciation for learning, one thing that we actually have pushed, if you can't do it manually, on basically, as Tasha said, with pen and paper, you know, you shouldn't actually have the privilege of using electronics to do it because electronics will help you through it. Manually, you have to actually look at what, you, what you've what you done. You can actually trace it back to see where your errors are and understand your errors and see where you're making those mistakes. So with the electronics being incorporated in school, yes, it's a good thing, but yet still, there, I still think there needs to be an intervention that they still need to actually know how to do it on um, on paper. It's just like with telling time. I mean, you have the digital watches, digital clocks, and all that, but if you can't look at a dial and tell time, I mean, you know, you're somewhat disabled. I mean, give you an experience, um, uh, and this is kind of somewhat funny, but it's a very true story. Um my sister's step-grandson came down to visit, and um, he was at the bus station. His cell phone went dead, and he had to borrow someone else's phone. Even though there was many pay phones around, he had to borrow someone else's phone to actually make a phone call to actually get someone to come get him from the bus station, letting him know that he had arrived. Well, the thing is, with all those phones around, he did not know how to make a collect call. So, I mean, he had none of the manual intervention. Everything has been self-gratified. 
I mean, self-gratification, I mean, instant gratification that you have a mobile device that you can actually reach out to that nobody knows that, hey, how do you make a, I mean, uh, uh, operator assisted call, collect call, things of that nature. So, uh, I mean, it brings it back, you know, we've lost, with technology growth, we're losing a lot of our understanding about some of, as we would call it, some of the primitive ways. Yeah, and I, I think it's just important for children to know what happens if all the computers shut down. And and the other part of it is those technology has to be programmed with logic. So there are human beings who build the logic behind them, and, and a lot of times younger folks don't have an appreciation for it, like our children don't have an appreciation for it. If the logic's wrong behind your device, then you're going to be wrong. So you need to understand logical thinking. And then the other side to it is we we do um, also guard the time. And the thing I like about the Kindle is you can put a screen timer on it, and it will just shut down for them so they can't play anymore so I don't have to be the bad guy on a more humorous note. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. And and, and once again, uh, you know, that's why I call today's segment Meet the Hurley. So you, you've heard about them as husband and wife, as mom and dad. You you've gotten a really rich uh a look into the Hurleys. And we thank you so much for sharing this Saturday with us and, and being so open. And, and so thank you, T J. Thank you, Tasha. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. And we thank you. Oh, thank you, TJ. You guys uh, did a fantastic job. Thanks for being with us. Absolutely. And we hope it wasn't too painful. And you guys will come again soon to bring us updates and other stage advice and uh, for our our young people in the community that listen to our show. And uh, but until next time, again. Thank you to the Hurleys, and thank you to our listening audience. BBPA. <laughs> and thank you to BBPA, <laughs> our, our sponsors. <laughs> thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Bye.